It is good to be back. I uh, uh, was missing out on summer worship as, uh, as we were on vacation the last couple of weeks. As, uh, as some of you know, Cheryl and I took the kids on, on vacation, and uh, we went to Alaska this summer. Uh, 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Alaska with a group of youth, and we were counselors at a camp there on a, on a mission trip. And Cheryl and I were dating at the time, and I've always felt bad that I got to go, and she didn't. So I'd been squirreling away money for 20 years, and we had the opportunity to, to go. It was an uh, amazing trip. Um, I have about 1,600 pictures, if anyone after service would like to, uh, would like to go through the slideshow. You, uh, you can't travel very far in Alaska without encountering the story of the great race for mercy. It's just kind of a part of, a, a big part of Alaska's history. Um, some of you may have a, an inkling of the great race for mercy. How many of you know of the Iditarod race in Alaska, the great dog sled race that races across Alaska on dog sleds? The Iditarod, in, in some sense, captures the spirit of this story that is a part of Alaska's history. In 1925... There was an outbreak of diphtheria in Nome, Alaska. Nome is all the way in the north of Alaska. And, uh, and diphtheria is uh, easily transmitted, and it's, it's deadly. And uh, the town at the time had about 1,400 people and, and one doctor, Dr. Welch. And he identified what it was and knew that they had to do something or everybody in the town was in danger. Only it was January. And in Alaska in January, it's dark all the time. Uh, you can't travel by roads, um, and you can't really fly because it's so cold in the icy conditions as well. So he knew that there was a serum in Anchorage um, that uh, it's an antitoxin serum that you can use to be injected with to, to stop diphtheria from spreading. But there wasn't any simple way to get it from Anchorage 700 miles all the way to, all the way to Nome, Alaska. And so the governor of the territory at the time, hearing of the emergency... Um, arranged for a relay of dog sled teams to carry, the, uh, to carry the serum all the way from Anchorage to Nome. Actually, the first 300 miles it traveled by train to Nanana, Alaska. And then it was transferred to the first dog sled team. And then over the next five days, essentially five and a half days, dog sled teams, 20 different teams with um, 150 dogs between them, transferred one team to the next. They carried it nearly 700 miles. I think the, the total was 500 and uh, uh, 500 or 674 miles, sorry, all the way from Nanana to Nome, Alaska. They arrived. Dr. Welch administered the shots to everybody in town, and, uh, and the only deaths were those of the initial, of the initial outbreak. Togo and Balto, some of you may know those dog names, some of you may have heard those in school, two of the lead dogs that were made famous by this, by this adventure, although six dogs, six other dogs gave their lives um, in the midst of that. And when you think about it, right, I mean, we think about dog sleds, and it's kind of fun, and, and we've made it this pretty picture, but, but these 20 drivers, they went through amazingly difficult conditions. They went across ice and, uh, and 60 below temperatures. They, uh, a couple of the different legs, visibility was down to zero, and say so they were just trusting their lead dog in the scent of the trail for that dog to lead them to the next, to the next stop. And as I heard these stories, I, I thought about it, and I thought, like, would I do this? Would you do it? Would you, 
get on a dog sled in 60 below weather and risk your life knowing there's no guarantee you're going to make it to the next stop without freezing to death? Would you do it? Would you get in a sled and do that? Like, where does that kind of courage come from? What does it take to be that fearless? Well, that's the kind of fear that Mr. Matt was talking about, let's pray and dive into what the, what the Bible says a little bit about how to be fearless. Would you pray with me? God, take my lips and speak through them this day. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with your love. Amen. So what are you afraid of? Uh, let, let's just try some things. How many of you are uh, afraid of spiders? There aren't enough of you who are afraid of spiders like me. You should be more afraid of spiders. No. How many of you are afraid of snakes? How many of you would get up and leave right now if what Matt said was true and there were snakes crawling around underneath? All right. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Anybody afraid of the dark? Anybody afraid of dark, scary basements? Still, something about walking in my basement at almost 50 years old. It's just scary down there when the lights aren't on right? We're all, we all have these fears. We're all afraid of, of something. But the Bible, the Bible actually talks about sort of a different kind of fear than just being afraid of, of things in the moment, like, like spiders or, or snakes, right? I don't know about you. I know lots of people have a fear of being rejected. And I won't ask you to put your hands up on these, but I invite you to think about it. How many of us have a fear that that somebody's not going to like us or that people are going to reject us or that we're going to, our friends are going to turn, turn away from us. Right? Some of us, some of us have a fear that somebody is always judging what we do. It's like we feel like somebody's always watching us and we're always being judged for, for what we're doing and, and how we're acting. Some of us have a fear of failure. There's something that holds us back from trying new things or doing new things or, or, Going where the Holy Spirit's kind of leading because we're afraid that we won't be able to do it. We're afraid that if we try, we'll, we'll fail. Some of you maybe are afraid of death. It's a normal fear. Some of us worry about everything all the time. Like it, it's just part of, of the way that we're wired. We're just, we're just sort of afraid Sort of afraid things won't go right all the, all the time. So I, I want to read you a Bible story today about a guy named Joshua and a conversation that Joshua had with God. Now, how many of you have heard of Joshua before? It's okay if you haven't. Joshua was a, a guy in the Bible, and he traveled along with Moses. He was an aide to Moses as they were leading the people out of, of Egypt. And, uh, and Moses died and Joshua was tapped to be the next leader of the people. Only we can guess that Joshua probably had some fears of his own. Like for one, he had to follow Moses. Moses had been leading the people for 40 years. And now, suddenly it fell to Joshua. And Joshua had to wonder, like, are people going to follow me? Or are people going to like my leadership? I'm not the same as Moses. Or, are people, people going to do what, what I asked them to do? Right? And then they were going into a new land. It was the promised land. And they'd sent some spies into the land who'd gone in and come back out. And, 
And the spies had said they weren't sure that, the, that they could overcome the people who were there. They weren't sure they'd be able to settle into this land. There were dangers there. And so Joshua had to worry about whether he was equipped to help the people settle into this new land. And then add to that, Joshua knew these people. And these people for 40 years hadn't listened to Moses. Like they'd start to listen and then they'd do something else. Like they were not people who really wanted a leader and wanted to follow a leader a lot of the time. So I don't know about you, but if, if I was in Joshua's shoes, I might have looked at this task and thought, I don't know. God, thanks for the offer, but I know these people and they don't want to be led and so I'm out. But not Joshua. Joshua said yes to leading God's people. And this is where we pick up the story in the very first chapter of Joshua. And I, I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to count the number of times I use a variation of the phrase, be strong and courageous. Can you count for me? All right, so listen and listen to how many times I say be strong and courageous. Here we go, Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Just a quick aside here. Some of you may have sarcasm like we have in my family. Um, this is the moment in the story when I want to go, like if I'm Joshua, I'm like, yeah, we buried Moses. We get that he's dead, right? I, I don't know why God had to tell Joshua that, but we're going to go on from there. Now then, you and all these people, God says, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Okay, so how many times did God say to Joshua, be strong and courageous? Shout it out. Three times, right? How many of you have had your parents tell you something three times in a row? Or your spouse tell you something three times in a row? Put your hand up if they told you something three times in a row. What does it mean? Well, it might mean you're already in big trouble, Right? Or it means pay attention. I know you don't always hear me the first time, so I'm going to say this three times so that you get it. Be strong and courageous. This is the most important thing I am saying. Be strong and courageous. Now, courageous, it's a fun word. The, uh, the Hebrew word for courageous, it, it has a, a literal meaning of root. It's like a... a like literally like a tree root or a plant root. It means rooted. And the, the Latin word that comes to, to mean courageous in the Bible, and then as it gets translated into English, our English word has the same root. It, uh, it means heart. So if we put those 
those meanings together, we, we can understand courageous is rooted, our hearts are rooted in God's love. Right? Courageous, our, our hearts are rooted in God's love. And so then the question is, so how, how can we be courageous? How can we be fearless like those, those dog sled mushers in the story or, or Joshua as he's going to lead the people in these difficult circumstances, when you face your fears, how can you be courageous? And we're lucky because God actually tells Joshua in this story. In fact, he says, essentially, every time he says, be strong and courageous, he gives him advice on how to do this. God says, be strong and courageous because I will fulfill my promise. Right? We can be strong and courageous because because God promises to win in the end. We know how the story ends. God wins. And so no, no matter how difficult it is in the moment, we can be strong and courageous because we know that, that God is at work in the midst of it. Then God says, be strong and very courageous. And he goes on, he says, turn to my word. And follow, follow what it says. When we're fearful, God invites us to, to read our, our Bibles, to turn to these stories in the Bible and realize, as Mr. Matt said this morning, again and again and again, the Bible shows us that God is at work in these stories. And so when we read these stories, we realize we can begin to see how God is at work in our lives. And we can take courage that God is at work in our stories. And then the third time, God says, be strong and courageous for I'll be with you wherever you go. Jesus will say this again to his followers later. He'll say, like, I will, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's this promise that we hang on to that, that God is with us. So we can be courageous because we know that in every moment, God walks beside us. And as Mr. Matt said, God doesn't promise there won't be holes in our life, and God doesn't promise that life will be easy. To be courageous is not to, not to trust that God's immediately going to make everything better. Life doesn't work that way. To be courageous is to know that God is at work in the moment, to root our hearts in that love, and then to let that love carry us through whatever fears we're facing, whatever difficult times are ahead of us, and to know that we don't have to face it alone. Right? When we're fearful, we're invited to know with God's presence and the church that represents God's presence, we never have to face a difficult time alone. Um, how many of you know the name Ruby Bridges? Any of you know the name Ruby Bridges? A handful of uh, hands went up. In, uh, in 1960, elementary schools in Louisiana were still segregated. Um, at this point, some of the high schools had integrated, but, the, um, but in the elementary level, there were schools for white kids and, and schools for black kids at that time. And um, the Supreme Court had ruled that this wasn't legal, but it, Louisiana hadn't gotten to it to, to uh, integrate schools yet. And when the Supreme Court made this decision, Louisiana's lawmakers got together and they created a test. Um, and the idea was they'd make this sort of difficult academic test because 
that way you had to pass the test to get into these integrated schools. And the, the assumption was that, that the black kids who were less educated in schools that weren't as good at the time, they wouldn't be able to pass the test. But six kids did pass their test. One of those was Ruby Bridges. And so Ruby Bridges ended up going to Walter Franz Elementary School in New Orleans. It was the first integrated elementary school in the state of Louisiana. On her first day, Ruby arrived at the school to a mob outside the front who were protesting that, that black kids shouldn't be in school with white kids. They yelled taunts at her. They had signs. They threw things at her. She had to be protected by federal marshals on each side and behind to protect her walking in to that school. When she went into the school... All of the parents of the white kids in the school took their white kids and walked them out in protest, leaving only Ruby. And then the teachers did the same. All but two teachers, the teacher who was assigned to Ruby and one other teacher were the only teachers to stay in the building that day. Because of the chaos of that day, it was, there wasn't even teaching that happened that day. Ruby was six years old. Six years old. Can you imagine facing that kind, of, that kind of hatred, that kind of mob at the age of six? The next day, one other student returned to school, but the rest still didn't. And it didn't stop. The students, most of them eventually trickled back into the school, but... None of them would be allowed by their parents to be in a classroom with Ruby, and so she ended up in a classroom alone with her teacher, Barbara Jones, for the entire year. She had to have marshals accompany her because of death threats for that entire year to school. So in a six-year-old, where does that kind of courage come from? For any of us, where does that kind of courage to face, face that kind of of difficult situation, where does it come from? Well, Robert Coles was a, a doctor, a psychiatrist in New Orleans at the time that Ruby Bridges started school. He saw the, the mob, he saw what Ruby Bridges was going through, and his heart broke. It went out to Ruby. And so he went to the family and he offered to spend some time with, with Ruby, do some sessions, and just help her process what had to be a traumatic experience. He sat down with her several times. Well, years later, Robert Coles would, would win an award for lifetime achievement in the medical field, in part because of his work with, with Ruby. And as he did, he told this story. He said he sat down with Ruby one day, and he just wanted to know, like, he just wanted her to be able to express what was happening in this experience. And so... You know, here's a six-year-old girl. She's being threatened every day. And, and so he, he sits down with her and he's like, like, Ruby, what's going through your mind when you go to school every day? It has to be hard. And then he said, he put on his doctor's hat and he got ready for her response. And he thought, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, listen. And, you know, he's thinking about the psychiatry that he's learned to help her process this trauma and, and think it through. And he says, and I'm going to read his words here. He says, after I asked my question, she looked at me. I'll never forget her. 
she just looked at me and she said, well, you know, Dr. Coles, I pray for them. And Coles writes, so I looked hard at her and I said, you pray for them, Ruby. She said, oh yes, I pray for them every morning when I walk by the crowd. And I said, Ruby, you pray for them given all that goes on and all they're saying and threatening? She looked at me and she said, well, don't you think they need praying for? Coles goes on to say in that moment, even in that moment, he couldn't fully process what he was hearing. Said he, he thought, well, maybe I'm the one she should be praying for. And then he said later, as he's processing this, he realized this wasn't to be explained by all the medical jargon and all the psychiatry that he knew. So it was like connecting with a biblical innocence that the answer was in, in Jesus that Ruby had channeled what was happening in the, in the greater civil rights movement and the, and the teachings of Martin Luther King Jr. And, and ultimately in the teaching of Jesus and the prophets, her courage came from knowing Jesus and knowing God's love. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. There are going to be times in all of our lives when we're afraid. Right? Fear is a, a natural response. But here's the thing. When, when things seem scary in your life, when, when objects seem insurmountable and you're not sure that you can do it, when you find yourself worrying about all kinds of things. Or when, when you're just not sure how to go on. The courage that you're looking for, it comes, it comes from knowing God's love in Jesus. Knowing that in Jesus, God understands. Right? With Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. Let me invite us to say that together. Would you just repeat after me? With Jesus, I don't have to be afraid. Let's do that one more time. With Jesus, I don't have to be afraid. So, what about the times when we are afraid? Because you're going to have them. We all have them. Let me give you three tools today to take with you. Three things that you can do in those moments when you're afraid, in those moments when you're, when you're worried, in those moments when you think things are spinning out of control and, and you're not sure what to do. Let me give you three things that you can do. Number one, three things to help you have courage. Number one, just pause and breathe. Take a, take a deep breath and as you do, just pray this prayer, be still and know that I am God. Be still as you breathe in. Know that I am God as you breathe out. 
and let God's presence just fill you up in that moment. Number two, go home today and find a scripture in the Bible. As, uh, as somebody said, there, there are like more than 200 of them. It's all over the Bible it says, do not fear. Just put in do not fear or courage scripture into Google and it'll find all kinds of scriptures for you. Find one that speaks to you, a short one that speaks to you and just, and just memorize it and then carry it with you. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There are lots of great examples in the Psalms like that one. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, God. Another psalm. Simple reminders. And the third thing you can do when you're afraid, it's kind of like Joshua. Have a conversation with God. Just pause and name the fear. Like when you feel fear welling up in you. Sometimes, sometimes when I am going to be speaking, I get afraid about how it's going to be received, how this message is going to be received. For you, it may be, you know, you feel God is leading you to do something. And you're, just, you're just not sure and you're not sure where to begin and, and you're afraid of what people are going to think of what, what you're being called to do. Or maybe, maybe for you, it's you're listening to a group of people gossip about somebody or insult somebody or just something that is unhealthy for our world right now. And you know that you need to say something, but you're, you're filled with fear about speaking up. If you're in that moment, just pause and name the fear. Say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm afraid to say anything because my friends might judge me for saying something or I might hurt a relationship if I say something here. When that, when that happens, when you name it, then just think about the feelings that it's bringing up for you. And then, most important, think about what would God say to me in this moment? Like, I'm in this moment where this group of people are saying things they shouldn't be saying about somebody. Somebody needs to speak up. Somebody needs to say something. God, what, what do you have to say to me in this moment? And just let, let God and, and let, let God's presence direct you to step up with courage. To speak with, with the conviction that God is, is with you and in it. Be strong and courageous, God says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. As the band comes forward, and invite them to, to come forward for our final songs today. I just want to invite us to, to hang on to these words. With Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. With Jesus, we can be fearless. With Jesus, we can confront injustice in the world. We can follow when, when the Spirit of God leads us into, into doing things that maybe aren't, aren't comfortable, but, but are life-changing or world-changing. When we're afraid, we can know that God is with us. Would you repeat this one more time after me? With Jesus, I don't have to be afraid. With Jesus, I don't have to be afraid. Amen.